podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome, hello, welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory. Welcome to the show and I'm joined by my very good friend... Adam, hey Rory, it's been a very good weekend here in the UK, it's sunny, we're starting to feel like just vibrancy right now and we're coming to potentially the most interesting part of the season because it's all coming to conclusion but we were joined by two more sackings this weekend as well we so are, I'm sure we'll be talking about that and more We are both relieved we're Italy. still in a job and we just want to clear right now <laughs> that Andy has not been fired right we've not sacked him over the weekend Andy has kept his job he's just not able to be with us this evening eventually we'll get all three of us in a room again listeners I'm not sure when it will be but we promise <laughs> to try at some point um, yeah, plenty of sackings this weekend. Thankfully, as Andy said, um, they did it before the pod. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Todd. Yep. Um, thank you, Lester Owner. I've forgotten your name. For getting it done early, it means we can talk about it. Um, but, Adam, how was your weekend? Good weekend? Yeah, very good. Thank you. I uh, got my boy into Pokemon Go, believe it or not. It was oh, the only thing game. to kind of get him to walk, and he's loving it. Absolutely nice. lovely, loving getting out there. Um, this was because football was cancelled on the Saturday morning. So, yeah, we didn't have our usual delights, but yeah. it was good nonetheless. He's got into something that will encourage him to go out of the house instead of being stuck inside of the house during this Easter break. So, Yes, got to catch them all, mate. Got to catch no, well, them all, always, 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 always. I love How just seeing yours? Pokemon continue. Um, it is obviously because you won't be able to see it, but the back of my laptop currently has Pokemon stickers all over it. Like oh. I am a huge, huge Pokemon <laughs> fan. So love, love to see that being carried on. And yeah, Pokemon Go. I remember my friends laughing at me when I was playing it at the age of 29, I think. So <laughs> it's a great game. And like I love that it does encourage kids to walk. That's fantastic, right? I bet exactly. you can't keep him in the house now, right? He's like desperate to get oh, charged. He's on, so desperate. It? Today yeah. was just a mission just to make sure I was off calls and we were going out to do stuff like that. So, <laughs> nice. yes, all of love the joys. It. Love it. <laughs> um, we are going to kick off this week with our kind of stories of the weekend, and it's all coming mm. from Italy. We're going to start with yes. a feel-good story to start with, and it is huge news, people. Huge news. San Marino Vittoria, the club that represents the great nation of San Marino, they finally have some footballing glory to celebrate as they are promoted to Serie D. Now, the first thing that came into my mind was I'm loving, I'm genuinely really enjoying keeping an eye on the Italian lower leagues because there's Mm. so many stories down there, so many Phoenix clubs, so many kind of like, you know, Catania Mm. and Messina and all these. Oh, I remember them. And this is another story here of San Marino. They did get up to Serie B once, I think, or mm. Serie C. They're kind of the highest they've been, but they're back on their way up. And it just instantly made me think of, like, on Football Manager, there's the building a nation save. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the hardest, hardest one is to do San Marino, where you manage the club and the country, and you have to try and build both up the rankings. It is impossible, but mm. apparently not. Somebody is on their way to start in this challenge. So it's good to see, right? San Marino, yes. they're on their way. It's great to see, you know? Yeah, beautiful. Definitely something that I didn't think we'd see because I think that's notoriously quite difficult for 
someone of that caliber to go up the leagues, especially in Italy. We know how notorious those kind of travels have to uh, take to go, especially as we've seen recently with the likes of Catania having yeah, to do yeah, yeah. various different long journeys and their fans went epic this weekend. I think it was 18,000 at their yeah, stadium yeah, this yeah. weekend to celebrate. So beautiful moment. But yeah, no, glad that San Marino are climbing should we say, especially club domestically wise anyway, Rory. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a thing about players that are actually eligible to play for them. And there's some pretty good players that if they don't get the uh, Italian call up, there's some Serie A players in there. So maybe they should yeah. be calling their agents and going, please God, just, just, just give us <laughs> 10 games. Just give us 10 games. Yeah, exactly. We promise. We promise you'll play every bloody minute of it. Um, but Adam, elsewhere in Serie A, there was some, um, some some news to delight the fans, but we didn't. We still don't quite know how we feel about it. Were we tricked? What do you think? I, I hope we're not tricked because I've got plenty of orders going its way, shall we say? And this <laughs> is of a certain uh, shirt, shall we say? Not the Napoli edition. Let's put it that way. So don't worry, I've not been conned by De Laurentiis and his uh, money making scheme. There, we're talking about Fiorentina, who have uh, I don't know how how should we describe this. Um, got the emotive connections with Super Mario and Nintendo. And uh, yes, because Super Mario is coming out in the cinemas near you on the <laughs> uh, they said that they're bringing out a special edition shirt. So it's just a image of Super Mario on the Fiorentina shirt, which looks delightful. And I think uh, there's about 200 plus orders already going through from my account anyway. Um, but we're not just spoiled by that. As I mentioned, Napoli have got their Easter edition kit. So that'll be on top of the free third editions before the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, and the rest. And, yeah, yeah. And then you've got Hellas Verona. They've brought out a special to commemorate their kind of, I think it's 150th anniversary. Mm-hmm. It's a half blue, half yellow edition, which nice. looks quite classic. I have to say so there's been quite a few even Cremonese the other week did mm-hmm. a special edition where there was no sponsors just a pl- uh, number and just the traditional shirt from their nice. first year I think of formation I think it was uh, a few weeks back which looked quite special I have to say but Rory are you tempted to spend some money on the Fiorentina edition well I think even if it was a wind up the marketing department is now going actually should we just make these because I think plenty of people were like yeah I'll have 10 um I absolutely <laughs> loved it instantly there was that like twinge at my heartstring of like oh the the nostalgia of that Nintendo Fiorentina yes. shirt which is like amongst the football shirt community everyone says you know it's my grail it's one of my grail shirts yes. is that Fiorentina Nintendo shirt holy yeah. crap um and yeah seeing that what is a huge Mario on the front? I was like, yeah, I'd still wear it. I'd still definitely want <laughs> yeah. it. Um, the Napoli one, not so much. I think clubs are definitely realizing that, like, you know, it's taken them a while, but they're realizing that fans will just buy any shirt that they release, really. Someone will buy it. Within and if you reason. can do something within reason, and if you can do something that throws in a bit of nostalgia, then people are definitely getting it. Um, and it, this is basically Arsenal's whole marketing scheme <laughs> over the past five years. It's just uh, print something from the 90s and we all buy it because it's beautiful. Yes, of course. Um, but guys, we are going to talk lots of football tonight. There was lots of football over mm. the weekend. We're going to start in Serie A. Of course, we're going to start in Naples where Milan... Where the hell has that Milan been this year? I know. Ruddy hell. Um, across the city in Milan, we're going to be talking desperate times for Inter. How long does Inzaghi have left, realistically? Mm. We're going to talk Roma dismantling Sampdoria. 
And we're going to give a little bit of Shamorodov love with a beautiful call for Spezia. That was a hell of a finish, that. Yes, um, it was. In the Premier League, of course, we're going to be talking about the sackings. That's now 12 of the 20 managers that started the Premier League uh, season have been fired. Now, Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter are in the job. We're in the job centre this morning, I believe. We'll be talking about what that means, how it happened and what the fans can expect for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing a little bit of Man United Newcastle. We'll squeeze a little bit of Arsenal chat, maybe, if I'm lucky. And we're going to talk a little bit of Man City-Liverpool as they yes. disappoint everyone by bloody winning comfortably. Um, so, guys, we are going to take a very quick break as I line up the video. It should be here. Here we go. And we are going to take a very quick break. We will see you on the other side. Benvenuti, here we are, welcome (laughs) to the Italian section of the Euro Review and we're going to be talking all Serie A, starting in Milan, no, in Naples, Naples, it felt like it was in Milan, it was (laughs) one-sided, it felt like it was in Milan, but it was in fact in Naples as Milan 4, Napoli nil. Adam, um, in one word slash noise, your reaction to this game, mine was a kind of a, whoa! Incredible. Oh, I, Yeah, incredible. It's got to be incredible, hasn't it? Because how do you kind of get that performance after what we've been delivered by Milan all season? It's just so strange, so strange. But they made it look so easy against this Napoli side. That seems so seamless up until this point. Um, maybe it's a good thing for Napoli because maybe it kind of makes breaks up their season and shows that there is a way to get at Napoli. Um, but you have to give kudos to Pioli, kudos to that Milan squad because they played it really well. I think they probably learned from the games that Napoli have lost this season as well, which was make it ultra difficult, make sure that they're kind of pushed to the sides and the wings. And they really struggled. They really, I, I mean, there was this piece before the game where there was a narrative of when Osman isn't in the squad, Napoli still managed to win. On this occasion, I don't think it makes any difference if Osman was on the pitch. And I, I, I mean, you could kind of handedly kind of give your man of match to a number of Milan players because they were all that strong and they all did the duties that they needed to. I mean, what was it for you that stood out from this Milan squad and in particular this outing? I think it was the urgency in the performance. I think they really went out with a point Mm -hmm. to prove. I think they will be massively disappointed with how they've defended this title, right? I think they'll Mm -hmm. feel like they could have put up and should have put up a better defence. I don't think think this game affects where the Scudetto is going to go. I think it's a wake-up call for Napoli. But I think Milan really turned up with a, right, we're going to show you exactly what we can do. And definitely with the Champions League quarterfinal in mind, I think it was like a we need this psychological boost. Like, if Napoli win that, they're top of the league by a certain, a certain amount of points, a ridiculous amount of points. If they yeah. then beat Milan again, I think Milan go into that and go, oh, freaking hell, they've battered us in the league. They've battered us. Um, they're going to batter us in the Champions League. And yeah. I think it was just, you saw a team with a point to prove and Napoli who just looked a little bit lost. I think to say, obviously they were, like they did miss us and men. Of course they did. They weren't crossing the ball into the box. I found it so mad. Like, Simeone isn't that bad in the air. Okay, he's not Osman, right? Nobody's no, bloody Osman. But it felt like Napoli were just crossing it from one side to the other, and there was no 
just input no in into the box. Yeah. There was no input into the box. It felt like they didn't really know how they wanted to deliver it to Simeone. It felt like it hadn't really been discussed or planned for, which no. is kind of weird because Napoli are a team who they're able, like their football IQ is incredible. And their ability to switch how they play mid-game, depending on how the team, mm. who they're against, has been flawless this year. It's what's made them so hard to defeat. But Napoli just didn't have that this 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 weekend and I think Milan the credit has to go to them as well because what they did do was they saw they saw Napoli were slow and they did not give them a second on the ball they did not give them like every player was harrying and pressing from the first minute Mm -hmm. up until the last I think the substitutions were really good from um, purely like Salamakers yeah. with that incredible goal. <laughs> incredible. From nowhere. Where does that come from? Unbelievable goal. That's the Salamakers that I've stuck up for in the past. There you go. I was <laughs> um, but like, I feel like purely managed the game really well. And he just, mm. it was a bit of a statement. I think going into that Champions League quarterfinal now is going to be quite interesting. Um, but for Napoli, you just have to, like today, it had to be like, right, go home. Think about it. Tuesday, we just forget it's happened. Like yeah. Tuesday, we just it never happened. We move on. We get on with the rest of our lives because it's one of those freak results. I think that kind of like okay, <laughs> kind of like United getting beaten seven 0 except United. <laughs> I think it, it's one of those where it does feel like a bit of a freak result, and you can just mm. go right. Let's try and forget this and move on. I'll be lying though if I didn't think for a second that I was like, oh, the people of Napoli have started decorating the city. Have they jinxed it? <laughs> there was yeah, a slight yeah. part of it. There was like, oh, you might have oh, called it too. Early, yeah. but I think I think they'll be all right. Um, what do you think of Napoli from this game? Their defending as well was atrocious. I felt really mm. bad for um Meret, Meret in goal. Oh, Meret um, in goal, yeah, yeah. I felt really bad for him because he was trying to stop everything, but you can't stop the tide. It felt like Kim had a really bad game. The midfield was nowhere. It, uh, yeah, what what do you think the main issues were for Napoli beyond there was no Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, they I think you nicely summed it up. They didn't seem to have an ideal plan as to what they were going to do. Great, you know, granted they didn't have awesome men, but there is always kind of a plan B, like what do you do? Farah didn't have a particularly good game. I felt he was trying to cut in far too frequently into yeah, the middle. Zelinski yeah. was missing for this game. I thought he was pretty poor. Um, Lobotka, probably his yeah. worst game he ever had, to be yeah, fair. But yeah. then like I say, Rachmani as well, he was so easily brushed off for, I think mm. it was the third goal when Liao kind of twisted yeah, turns yeah, yeah, in yeah. between him. Um, Salamakas, who you said, obviously had a good game on this occasion. <laughs> he could have had, a fifth, could have <laughs> had a fifth in fairness for that shot from distance. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many flaws. I just, maybe this is the element that Napoli do struggle. If you can push them and make sure that you're compact in the middle, they don't have an idea mm. on the sides. And obviously, Herving Lozano came on in the second half. He tried his best, but again, he was kind of going down blind, blind alleys, yeah, wasn't he, yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, I think it just goes to show you that if you can kind of guide them out to the wings, they really do struggle. And I wonder if it's time to rethink about how they play certain games because, yes, this style has worked, but now they're getting found out. And it's not the first time that they've been kind of, if you play centrally, they do struggle. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I feel like that's the element. But I'm sure with Spalletti, he'll work out a combination that will work for them. Um, but it might require Osman to be on the pitch. I somehow sense he needs him on the pitch for it to work. Yeah, I think it's really weird because when they were without Osman, 
when he was injured earlier on in the season, mm. their goals per game went up. Um, they continued to win games, and you're like, okay, they don't they don't really need him. They, they, yeah. And then yeah, maybe towards like it's the end of the season, people are getting a little bit tired. You're getting like you're getting to that point where maybe you just need that extra push, yes. and maybe they just a bit of that creativity, a bit of that like looseness has kind of gone. Especially is now. This is the moment now that you need to win the Scudetto, right? It's yeah. it's gone from a pressure. It's gone from like no pressure where nobody expected to, being to, a be pressure. Here, to be like, okay, you've got a big lead, but you cannot fuck this up now. So I think maybe <laughs> we're seeing players kind of go into themselves a little bit. And this is kind of where a performance like this comes from. But look, I don't think there's too much to read into it. Spalletti will adapt. He will look at why, yeah. where they need to improve. I think... Yeah, Simeone, I really like him as a striker. It just felt like they couldn't really find him. They weren't able yeah, to find him. No, no. Um, and they weren't putting enough balls into the box, like full stop. And I think, yeah. talking about Lobotka as well, he got booked really early on. Yeah. He got booked early in the first half, and I was like, that's him out. Like, he can't. Yeah, he can't a lot of his game is breaking up yeah. play, but he couldn't do what he was there to do. And I think it kind of, again, very clever from Milan, just able to, okay, he's been booked, put everything on him. Because if he fouls again, he's off. So I think it was, yeah, mm. Pioli managed it incredibly well. And what a statement before a Champions League quarterfinal. Because yes, Milan, we know the we know their history in that competition. And if they can play like that, I'd give them a chance against anybody, really. Because that was an yeah. incredible, incredible performance. And we've not even mentioned Rafa Liao yet. Like, we've been waiting for him <laughs> all season. Been waiting for him all season. And that was the Liao we've been waiting for. That first yes. dink was just... That is a striker that's got 20 goals yeah. already this season. The level of confidence that takes. Beautiful mm-hmm. finish. The second goal as well. And just, yeah, what a performance. The Milan fans looked like they really enjoyed it down in Naples. They enjoyed that. Um, it looked like a hell of an atmosphere. We do have to very quickly say as well, though, the Napoli atmosphere was a bit subdued. Very um, <laughs> The fans are currently having a protest against the owners. It's about yes. ticket prices. It's about not being able to bring in banners and basically without pissing anyone off I think the fans they want to be able to bring in whatever they want and the Napoli owners have said well you can't do that we're gonna you have to ask for permission like everybody else Mm -hmm. and they're annoyed that they're being treated like the away fans it would be a shame for this to continue if the season carries on the way it's been going because you want the fans in there for this historic moment I'm pretty sure they'll break for the last game if if it's still uh, how it stands at the minute but yeah, that's why the atmosphere was a little bit subdued. And I think it mm-hmm. did play into it. I think it did play into it for Milan. It made it a bit of a less hostile atmosphere to go into. But yes, we're going to leave Milan and Napoli there. Incredible performance from Milan. Unbelievable. And we're going to go to the other part of Milan. <sighs> this was ugly. Um, Inzaghi yeah. in trouble. Now, Italiano, we have seen him fight his way out of what was a pretty precarious position himself in Fiorentina in 14th yeah. position. He's now got them right back up there. They're up to ninth, five mm-hmm. wins in a row, absolutely killing it. Inter, one win in four, and the most, 10 losses this season, 10 losses. Yeah, um, 10 the losses next now. team, the next team down with as many losses as them is um, Bologna in eighth, Fiorentina in ninth, like, it is incredible. Grim. It's been feast or famine for Inter this year. 16 wins, two draws, 10 losses. Before we give Fiorentina a bit of credit, um, mm-hmm. Inter are one of the most boring teams in the league to watch. <laughs> Agree? 
probably the second half of the season's definitely in it's there with a shell. It's been brutal. Um, and I, I don't really know where you kind of put the blame on. And I know a lot of it is going on in Zaghi's shoulders, but you think if he pulls it out of the bag in the Champions League, which I don't expect to happen, by the way. There's um, no way that team that, beat that kind of resets that narrative. <laughs> but again, I, I think there's an old age issue here, which is sunning the ownership here mm -hmm. and the fact that the club aren't taking responsibility for this mess at the moment. Because if you think we're, we're kind of talking about sackings in the Premier League, if this was the other way around, people would be going, why haven't you moved him on? Why haven't you done something about it? Why haven't you changed something? And this is the strange thing. It's like we know the reasons why in Inter because they can't afford to. They can't, they can't afford, afford anything. Exactly. Yeah. The moment they get rid of Lukaku, they suddenly have money to spend, which is mm -hmm. the brutal honesty of the situation. But then again, you kind of go, they went into this match with Correa and Lukaku up front. That kind of spells out the issues that Inter have in terms of depth of quality is not there. They're relying on... 30 year old clubs basically dad's army essentially to help them out here <laughs> this is the italian version of dad's army isn't it really and you think about where the next kind of spark comes from i can only think of maybe raul bellanova and he's not really you know doing much for that inter squad at the moment granted he had a good performance the other week in the champions yeah. league but that was it um this is where I think the issues are. That there's there's a combination of blame at the club level, but there's also the issues on the pitch, which we know about Inzaghi and his tactics. Because I think when it doesn't go his way, he doesn't seem to know how to break that kind of plan. And he doesn't yeah. know what to do in those situations. Probably isn't helped by the fact that I think there is a fractious atmosphere at the moment. Since Skriniar obviously said he was off, I think like it's kind of like there's an atmosphere there. It clearly is that, you know, he's kind of still there. It's not like he's a bad lingering smell, but it feels like at the moment that that hasn't helped the, this, you know, the ability of this squad really harness what it could do. And we know about the likes of Barella, but even Barella hasn't had a great kind of last few mm. weeks. I, I think maybe off the top of my head, Chanalogu has had probably a good kind of last few weeks apart from that and then he's I think he's partially injured at the moment there's lots of issues at Inter um, and that's kind of boiled over recently because the amount of defeats they've been having but for you Rory I mean where do you see a way out for Inter or Inzaghi well this is why I've kind of left a question mark on the thing because I'm like if you look at it on one side you're like right Inter have been awful at times this season mm -hmm. they've lost games that they never should be losing Inzaghi is incapable of changing games. Some of his substitutions are downright bizarre. Like it is yeah. a running meme that he just substitutes players who get who are on a <laughs> yellow card instantly because he's terrified of going down to 10 men. Like I feel like his ability to manage in games is is really left wanting. Um, there was a really interesting video that friend of the pod, Uncle Sharma, shared this weekend as well <laughs> about former Lazio player Marco Parolo, who was talking about working under Inzaghi. Mm. And what he says is that, like, Inzaghi relies a lot on the players to kind of manage themselves when it comes to, like, team spirit. And within the game, he gives yeah. the players quite a lot of responsibility. He compares him to Allegri and says, like, Allegri's really good at this, mm. but Inzaghi's trying to do it. He's just not quite as good at it. And when 
players start to become dissatisfied, he's unable to then turn around and wrestle back control yeah. and be like, right, guys, and get that mood going again. And you can see it on the pitch. The Inter players are almost arguing with each other. They're throwing their arms up in the air. They're getting yeah. desperate. It feels like there's a real, like they know they're underachieving and nobody's able to kind of turn them back around. Yeah. So oh, there's all that. And Inzaghi being a cup manager in general, like even at Lazio, he did okay, but it was never fantastic. Yeah. If you look at Sadi now, they're up in second and you're thinking, okay, right. Like this is like, there was still Inzaghi. I yeah, remember exactly. when he got announced as Inter manager, Tommy's reaction was like, we had it on the pod. He was like screaming and swearing. So he's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just so unexciting. And I feel yeah. like we're just kind of seeing that a bit now. But then all that being said, you've then got the owners and you realize that this manager is doing this on a shoestring would be a luxury at this point, the mm -hmm. level of budget yeah. this club has. Like, the guy's going to be in court for the next six months in terms of, like, false accounting and whatever it is he's been doing. Like, mm. the club has no money, and he's doing all this on free transfers, on rejects, on, like, getting players like Chalonoglu, who's been incredible for Inter at times, yeah. who's been a really clever signing, and Mkhitaryan is a really clever signing, and it feels like they're doing this almost money ball but with players over 30 right exactly and it's like so you can look at it and go yeah he's, he's almost working miracles at this point because yes that squad has quality it does have Barella it does have mm -hmm. like uh Brozovic it does have like there's a lot of quality in that squad Onana and Bastoni and yeah. But there is still a lot of players where you're thinking they shouldn't be playing in the Champions League now. Dzeko shouldn't be your first-choice striker coming into a Champions League game at 37, 38. Like, he's still, his numbers are still pretty good, but yeah, he but... can just, if a team knows how to defend against him, you've got no other choice. Like, you've got nothing exactly. left. And I think Lukaku has just set fire to his whole career. So it's like, I feel like it was a really weird thing for Inter to go back in for him. And it just feels like a squad that's so mismatched and so unenthusiastic at the moment and the problem for Inter as well is is that it's so tight at the top of that table now so they're on 50 points in fourth place Roma in yep. fifth place on 50 Atalanta in sixth place on 48 and you got Juventus in seventh on 44 yeah, so I there's know. six points between Juve and Inter at this point I'm saying Juve finish above Inter like because the trajectories are just so opposite at the minute opposite, and I think yes, yes. But as, but as you said, in like Suning can't afford to sack him, so he's there till the end of the yeah, season exactly. at least. And even if their other option is Conte, they definitely can't no. afford Conte. No, it's not going to be him, is it? Let's be honest. And I heard something really funny: Deserbi being linked with the role as well. Again, why uh, on God's green earth would he go there? I have no <laughs> idea. Exactly, exactly. This is a problem. Like I, I think realistically. You're going to have to go lower down leagues to someone like a Sutil or, you know, for mm. example, like, I don't know. Italiano? Mm, I'm not as keen, but mm. this is where I think you're struggling now. You're, you are starting to wonder what kind of managers or coaches could really do a job. Um, Juric, for example, at Torino, mm. I've always fancied him. I think he could do a very good job as well. Um, maybe even just bring in Marco Rossi from um hungary as well wow he, i, I like think that, that would a be a really good shout like someone who's experienced but could get them playing really well mm -hmm. in terms of footballing sense anyway mm -hmm. so there's opportunities i suppose but i mean the other one i'd probably just put out there just for a laugh Igor tudor he seems to be doing a really good Oof. job at marseille and I, I think he would do quite a good job he seems to be getting a lot of the italian kind of 
feeling down mm-hmm. there at Marseille, but I think stability-wise, he's probably better off at Inter than he is down there. And he'd get them playing. Yeah, good yeah well, Marseille won't have him for long, no matter how he exactly. does. But exactly, exactly. <laughs> like he'll be sacked within <laughs> before next season at least. But I think, yeah, Igor Trudeau. I think Juve are kind of looking at him and going, "Ah, shit, we let him go." Um, exactly. He is a very, very exciting coach and manager. I think that's not a bad shout. But yeah, Inter this summer, they just, they just need to. They like you cannot emphasize enough how important it is that they get top four this mm. year. Because they if they to. miss out on that money with the state they're in, I know we keep talking about with the financial state they're in, that could be huge for how they go about their summer. Um, and they'll be very, very thankful they didn't have an obligation to buy with Lukaku. It was only an yes, option because that so. could actually put the club out of existence. Um, but we're going to leave in there. We're going to talk about Fiorentina. Mm. We're going to talk about Fiorentina and Italiano. It looked like he was going to be out the door, but he's managed to turn it around. They're now on an incredible run. He's got Cabral and um, Rebic, not Rebic, Jovic, sorry. Jovic, yeah. Scoring. Um, neither of them scored this weekend, but he's got them scoring no. again. Um, and it feels like he's turned the XG, because even when they did go on that bad run, they were making chances. They've turned the XG into Gs. And he's an exciting manager, right? And this Fiorentina team are yeah. quite exciting to watch, I think. I think if you can get them playing, they certainly can be interesting on the eye. I think we were all tipping them to probably be that team to be at least within that top eight mix. Uh, And I certainly felt that they could be in the top six personally because I felt Mm -hmm. with Jovic coming in, I thought, you know, he's someone that needs to resurge his career right now. A move to there, only on loan, don't forget. And I thought he would do it. But yeah, it's taken a while for... Italiana to get a result. It did look at one point that he might get a sack. 10 unbeaten games so far, if you include the Europa League um, competition as well, and then six unbeaten in the league at the moment. And in that process, they've beaten both Milan clubs. One obviously being AC Milan at home and then into Milan now away from home. I, I do really like this squad. I think they just need a few more additions potentially before you see them maybe pushing up the table. Um, Italiano, I think he's starting to work out what his best squad is and also mm. tactics-wise, he's getting it a bit more spot on. Maybe not necessarily aesthetically pleasing on the eye, but he's certainly getting results and that's the most important thing at this point in the season. So, yeah, Italiano doing a good job. Do I think he's on to bigger things? Not yet, but you know, a few more additions in the door and Fiorentina, you could be seeing a different side next season, definitely Rory. Yeah, I think, and Mm. it's worth saying what he's doing in the Conference League as well. I think Fiorentina really do genuinely have a chance of winning that. And I think, like, for example, if West Ham came up against that Fiorentina Fiorentina side, I'm not saying it's a dead cert for West Ham, if you know what I mean. I think they genuinely have a huge shout of winning that. And if he could, my God, if he could deliver a a cup to Florence... He, the scenes would be Napoli-esque, I imagine, if you <laughs> yes. managed to, if you managed to deliver similar. a cup there. But he's really starting to get a bit of a tune out of a lot of those players. Castrovilli is a midfielder I've always really liked, yeah. and he's just technically very good. And like someone who was getting shouts for the national team, I think he's had a few caps, but a player that I was really, really excited about. Good to see him playing well again. And of course, Bonaventura getting the goal in attacking mm. the field. Very good player. He is very short, though, and the Inter players did manage to let him get a free header, which is impressive. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we can't finish before saying Lukaku missed an absolute sitter because, of course, he did. Um, of what he did. is going on there? Good. Now, we need to move on. We're going to leave Inter there. Um, and we're going to go for Roma keep on 
Vining, um, <laughs> Jorginho Vijnaldum. I was honestly, I really enjoyed watching him this game. I was like, that's the player Roma have been waiting for. He's that energy, that like, yeah. just absolute dynamo in midfield, running up and down the pitch, getting like mm-hmm. the classic Liverpool Vijnaldum. And I thought yeah. when Roma signed him, I was like, that's so clever. And it was so so shitty that he got that that injury, but I thought he was absolutely massive in this game. Yes, I know it's Sampdoria, but it's an improving Sampdoria. They are yeah. harder to beat than they have been in the past. But I was just really impressed by his performance. And Roma in general, it, it 3-0 flattered them a little bit, I think, because it was two late goals. Yeah. But another another efficient performance from Mourinho and Roma at home. They are still pushing for Champions League. Um, who impressed you the most for Roma, except Vinaldum? Or you can talk about Vinaldum, I suppose. Yeah, Vinaldum was very good, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool are cursing that they didn't give him yeah, a new contract freak. right now. Yeah. I appreciate James spent, Milner can't do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I appreciate he spent a season at PSG, but boy, do they or could they do with him anyway? Um, I, I I don't know if there's anyone that really sticks out apart from obviously. Ronaldum for this particular match but I think there's certainly there's a feeling with this Roma squad that they're getting stronger and stronger as the games go in um, certainly Dybala seems to be injury free right now so that's a really good uh, thing for him as well as Roma but also I think Tammy Tammy Abraham is trying his hardest at the moment holding the line he's really trying to bust the gut to try and get more goals in I appreciate he's not the old scoring striker that we've known him from last season but Again, I feel like he's um, really trying to excel and push this team on a bit more. And certainly he's offering a lot more than Bellotti is. Let's put it that way. So, um, yeah, that's not saying a lot, really. But <laughs> freaking out. I was offering more than Bellotti sat on my sofa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a transfer that definitely hasn't worked out that one. I did think a really nice moment, which starts really horribly, but gets really nice, is the Roma fans giving racist abuse to Stankovic yes. and being a gypsy and all yeah. sorts. And then Mourinho coming out and just putting his hand up and just the whole core of her being quiet. And just like, one, good on Mourinho. Uh, Two, fucking hell, Roma fans, come on. Like, I thought Lazio were the fascists. You don't need to join them, right? Um, But I just think it was a really nice moment. And also the hilarious moment, I've saved the video as a reaction meme, but of Solbakken, and he's getting told to come (laughs) on. Did you see it? He's getting ready to come on to pitch. He's getting instructions. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Mourinho just goes, no, just sit down. <laughs> he's like, oh, he just has to go and sit down. It's like as Roma get the second goal, it's such a good clip. Mourinho is just full of those. It always happens with Mourinho. Those absolute comedy moments. It's an unbelievable video. I absolutely love it. I did feel bad for Solbakken though. Um, yes. For Sampdoria, they get a player sent off, make it much harder yeah, for yeah. themselves. Um, but the first half, I think they genuinely, I was impressed with how they're playing. It feels like Stankovic, if he stays there, we've said it before, but if he stays there and they're in Serie B, they'll bounce straight back up because he has got a lot more out of that squad than they've showed the the entire first half of the season. And even he's getting a tune out of Harry Winks. I was watching Harry Winks. I was like, this guy's playing really well. I thought he had just a decent, solid game. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the problem is Sampdoria are starting to perform at the wrong end of the season where they've needed it probably yeah, 20 games now, ago, right? to be fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, unfortunately, that's just the effect. The only problem I have with Sampdoria is if they do go down, I think financially they are still a bit screwed at the moment because mm. they've got a huge debt that they need to clear off. 
they would be desperate to go back up into Serie A if they get relegated. Let's put it that way. And I think it's on the cards anyway, pretty much. Yeah. I Even Rory, we, we should share with the listener and viewers that we did both our predictors for the end of the season. Well, I did anyway. And yeah, yeah. I had Sampdoria rock bottom of mine by the end of it. So, yes, uh, mm. it doesn't look great for them. So, But, yeah, I mean, the performance, we saw it against Juventus a few weeks ago as well. They did look yeah. really good and unlucky on that occasion. It was just a bit of quality, which they are just lacking in their game squad at the moment. When you've got Manuel Gabbiadini up front, that kind of says it all for yourself. Yeah, he's, he's been trying his best. He's got a few goals, but it's Bless not quite him. working, is it? It's not quite working. But yeah. also, do I have to say, Roma had a ridiculous amount of suspensions this game as well because all their coaches and players are banned, apparently. <laughs> but they did manage to put a defence out and they did manage to keep a clean sheet. So fair play to them. Before we end our Serie A review, because I'm very aware of time, we have to very quickly give some Shamorad love. Um, Shamorad love. It kind of works. As he <laughs> scores, it works. He scores a beautiful dink to equalize he against Salernitana. Now, he's a player that we've talked about before. He got a lot of stick because I mm-hmm. think he got a big move to Roma and possibly a bit too early and it didn't really Probably. work out. But that's what we love to see, right? That is the player that we believe in, no? Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a great move. Uh, to be fair, Shamorad has started quite well at Spezia, I felt. Mm-hmm. Since that loan move he got earlier in the season, in January, that is, um, he's certainly starting to prove his worth. I think that's just that bit of game time now that he's showing his quality. I think he's been pivotal to the way that they've been playing recently, to be fair. And I think, yeah, when you've got him, Agudelo, and the likes of Anzolo, then they've got a very good squad. They'll definitely stay yeah. up. On the basis of this game, it was kind of hard. Half half, so Salonatana definitely edged it in the first half. I've got a fascinating stat though for you, Rui. Christoph Piontek has now gone 1,088 <laughs> minutes without scoring a goal. He hit the crossbar again in this match. He's playing better, but he, he was robbed. Goal. He was robbed. They should have just given him <laughs> yeah. that own goal. They should have just honestly. When I watched the highlights, I was like, I didn't know Piontek scored. And then I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's a bloody own goal. <laughs> He's robbed. They robbed my boy. I was absolutely gutted. Um, but yeah, just if you haven't seen that Shamorodov goal, go and check it out. Unbelievable. Definitely. Always love seeing an Uzbek in Serie A. Anyway, guys, <laughs> we are going to leave you there very shortly as we mm-hmm. take a quick break so I can have a sip of water and we come back with all the sackings in the Premier League. <laughs> we will see you there. My name is Massimo Morales and you are listening to Anglo-Italian Podcast. Welcome back. It is Premier League time and there's only one place to start. It happened late on Sunday night. We'd all been waiting. It felt like it had been in the post for a while. But, Graham, we tried to warn you, mate. We tried to warn you. We told you it wasn't a good idea. And look what's happened now. Chelsea fire him. And by this point, we can I can only guess that Todd Bowley became a billionaire by complete accident because I do not know <laughs> if that guy knows anything that he's doing from one minute to the next. But let's first look at Graham Potter. Mm-hmm. when he was appointed it felt a bit mad right it felt yeah. like we knew how this one was going to end Todd Bowley said he was going to be a different owner he was going to be patient he wasn't going to be like the last one how unsurprised are you by this second unsurprised based on the recent form definitely um I thought he would give him his chance just to see out at least the summer bringing his own kind of philosophies 
play until maybe say September and then make the kind of mm -hmm. trigger if he wants to get rid of him. Um, but yeah, I think the writing was on the wall after that performance against Villa. I mean, too much respect was given to that Villa side and that's no disrespect to Villa or Une Emery in the way that they play. They played fantastically well on that day. But this Chelsea squad is a mismatch of philosophies going on. It's a bit similar to what we've been kind of saying about the likes of Everton. Mm -hmm. There is no recognised striker in that team. You've got a number of midfielders that don't seem to fit a certain style of philosophy. So you have to change your personnel frequently. The fence is not settled. Goalkeepers don't know what's going on. They don't know who to trust after time. It's just a complete shit show, as they would call it. Um, unfortunately, Potter, though, he's a man that if you look at his time in, like, say, Brighton and before that Swansea, he builds relationships with players. Now, for that to happen, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's the difference in terms of the type of manager that needs to go into Chelsea right now. And I'm not, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily think Nagelsmann is the right kind of personnel to go in there. By all accounts, he's declined the opportunity to join Chelsea, um, which is probably a shameful Todd Poley because he would have fancied spending another 25 million on someone that doesn't fit a system, right? But ultimately, I, I feel like you need someone that will go in there forget about the egos and just put a structure in place to get them winning. I think that's what they're struggling right now. Um, and yeah, with Graham Potter, I feel like he needs to make sure he makes the next decision, the right one for him, because I don't feel that he's outside of a chance of getting a job again. But I think he needs to find the right club for him now going forward. And Chelsea just wasn't it, was it? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the one. I feel like, just to pick up on a few things you said, I think, yeah, um, the, I thought he'd get until the end of the season. I really did. Um, I thought that, I genuinely thought Todd Bowley would realise at some point how much he absolutely shafted him in terms of transfers and building that team, like how much he put Graham Potter in an impossible situation because how do you keep so many players happy? How do you mm. keep so many players from complaining? How do you figure out mid-season what your best team is when you've had seemingly zero input in the players that come in? Um, it feels like he was set up to fail. I think if you yeah. asked 10 fans of, of all clubs or even 10 Chelsea fans, what do you think the best start in 11 is? You would get 10 different answers <laughs> like because nobody knows beyond Thiago Silva starting at centre-back, I don't know where, <laughs> where else everyone goes. Like, it does feel like it's just a complete mess. And I think what we're getting now, and it's really interesting, is like with Nagelsmann, as you mentioned, Nagelsmann would have rocks in his head to go to that, to go to that yeah. club now because he's going to have zero input. In, they, they're not going to be able to spend money because they're not getting into Europe and FFP is going to be upheld mm -hmm. against them. So they're not going to be able to change the squad. He's going to have to sell. So the the players that people actually want are going to have to go. They're not usually not the players yeah. you want. They're usually the ones you want to keep, right? And mm. then the players you have brought in that maybe don't fit your system, you don't fancy, they're on eight-year contracts. So there's no yeah. way you can even possibly shift them. Even Chelsea aren't that good at loaning players out, right? Like, yeah. it would be impossible to get rid of them. So I think it's just so 
it's so mental the mess that that club yeah. is in because what they're going to have to now do is it's almost like the club they have to find a project manager and they have to stick with him because the whole team is built around that idea now the whole yeah. like you can't just go from one manager to another which Chelsea have done in the past with great success you can't do that when your squad is effectively locked in or when mm. the core of your a lot of like what you want to be the core of your squad for the next 10 years is locked in I think it's just it's a really strange situation for any manager to be going into I think they're probably I think Nogglesman is going to go there I think he's gonna see I think the ego will take over a bit and the money and I think he'll go there they'll beat they'll beat Spurs to him definitely um but I think he'd be foolish and he'd be stupid to go to be honest um and I think for Chelsea next season now it's going to be so. It's going to be really fun if you're not a Chelsea fan because they could find themselves genuinely in all sorts of trouble. And I yeah. think Todd Bowley. It's weird how he was like approved by the government to buy the club, and like you know they had a direct hand in like mm. deciding it was him. And now they just. I've never known anyone to know less about how a football club works. And there have been some mental owners in the Premier League. Yes. There's been Sam Hammam. There's been Chilino. There's been all sorts yeah. of owners in the UK. This guy is up there as the most clueless owner that there's ever been. Massively. I think, like, it is just, as a Chelsea fan, it must be infuriating. It must be absolutely infuriating because you just know that ultimately the decisions lie with this rich idiot and, like, yeah. the, the club is just in all sorts of trouble. I think for Graham Potter, as you said, the um, the next job for him is huge. I think, well, when we talked about it on my boys' group from home... yeah. Uh, a friend of the show, Tom, he's a West Ham fan. He just said, I hope we get him. And I think a club like that would be yeah. absolutely fantastic for him. West Ham stay up. They get rid of Moyes, say thank you, but no thank you. And they bring in yeah. a player, uh, bring in a manager like Gray Graham Potter would be absolutely fantastic for a club like that. I think that's kind of the, the level, no disrespect to West Ham, yeah, that he course. needs to be going back in. I think the last thing he needs now is a Tottenham job. I think he needs mm. to be going down a little bit lower. Sorry, West Ham fans. And kind of rebuilding that reputation. The mad thing is, is like Brighton fans as well have been screaming it on Twitter. They've been like, Brighton stuck with him through like a 12-game streak <laughs> of not winning with scoring two goals. And like, they hate him. They absolutely hate him because he just disappeared at the first shot after they'd shown him quite a lot of patience. Yeah. But they will tell you what type of manager he was and what type of club they were or what type of team they were when he was there. They were a streaky team. They would mm -hmm. go long games without winning. They would go on winning streaks. Like, and it's just that's what's happened at Chelsea. But at Chelsea, you yeah. just don't have that much rope before no. you end up hanging yourself. Exactly. Like, it's just it, it is, yeah, not the, the wrong job at the wrong time. Um, yeah. but moving on to Aston Villa, Aston Villa fans will be screaming that they've not got any credit at all. <laughs> Unai Emery, since he took over, um, Aston Villa have been the third best team in the Premier League. They've got the third most wins. Um, he's turned Ollie Watkins or turning Ollie Watkins into the striker mm -hmm. that we thought he could be. Um, yeah. Absolutely clinical. He definitely, he had one chance early on that he definitely should have scored. Yeah, but he, he did take his chance. Um, he's been incredible under Emery. And I think what we're seeing is, I would, if I was a Villa fan, I would be crazy excited to see the Villa team after a summer transfer window with Unai Emery. Because I think he is going to bring in the players that he wants. And he is going to get them into Europe before long. Like, they're not a million miles away now, mm -hmm. but I think by next season, he could be putting them in the Europa League Conference League because he's an expert at it, and it's a club that's going to let him 
build the team around his identity, his philosophy. At Arsenal, he couldn't have that. It just was the, yeah. wasn't the right fit. But I think at Aston Villa, they have gone out, they've got rid of Gerrard, a brilliant yeah. decision, and they've mm-hmm. made the best possible decision they can by getting, we said it at the time, the best manager they could have possibly got. Like, it's been incredible. Yeah. How, like, what have you made of his impact since he took over? It's been insane. It's been massive. It's been massive when you consider where they were. And don't forget, Uno Emery was with Villarreal, taking them to the Champions League, won them in the Europa Cup as well. And he's done some magnificent things down there as well. And this is a team that is backed by a millionaire down there, but they also didn't spend over their budget don't forget, because there mm-hmm. is restrictions in La Liga. So for him to get that quality, and don't forget, there's a lot of ex-Tottenham players that we used to take the mick out of yeah, at Villarreal. Just in Voif. One Voif, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these are the type of players that you think Etin Kapui, I think, is another mm-hmm. one that's down there still. So that kind of shows you what he works with down there and what he's got is more of a luxury at Villa. Certainly there's the Bubikar, for example, the player that we haven't really seen player. the best out of him just yet this season. Um, Diego Colita, Carlos or Colita, I've forgotten his uh, surname, yeah, but Carlos. the severe yeah, centre-back yeah. that's been out for the majority of this season. Once he's back in the fray, again, there's a quality centre-back there as well. You think of Martinez off the back of his running. I think he's kind of now shut himself. He's been a bit more quiet, a bit more humble. No, I absolutely maybe, love him. No, I love him. I don't want him to take No, down. but then I, I think there is an element of there's a bit more respect towards Emery. That's yeah. what I mean by that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly from that angle. And then you think the players like Leon Bailey has certainly excelled in the recent game since, obviously, that Gerard move as well because mm-hmm. he was a player that wasn't really getting much game time. He's now flourishing under Emre. And I think these kind of players, although they were a bit part players beforehand, they're starting to show their worths. And the likes of McGinn, that goal was insane. And we haven't seen the of best it. of McGinn for a while. I think there's a that lot was of all people McGinn. saying that was that like when Villa first came into the Premier League, McGinn, and you were like, yes, oh, this guy could, yeah. like, he's a really brilliant midfielder, McGinn, like really kind Five of complete. Five million pounds, by the way. Yeah, unbelievable. He does everything really just well. Yeah. He does everything really well. I like him as a player. But I think Leon Bailey is an interesting shout because I think if you look at a player like Dan Juma as well, who at Villarreal, Emery was yeah. definitely getting the best out of, turned him into yeah, exactly. like got him from the championship, championship right, brought him to Villarreal, mm-hmm. tore up the La Liga. And I think Emery is really good at coaching wingers and strikers. Like if you are a team that's going to, on the transition, just absolutely punish teams, Emery is your guy. That's what he does. And I think we've just seen him get that like, real fluidity. Like Buendia is a really talented player. If you can get the best out of him as well, you've got oh. a hell of a player on your hands yeah. there. I think Diego Carlos is the one I'm really excited about. That centre back, if he yes. when he gets fit again and starts playing, because at Sevilla he was an absolute monster. And when when Villa signed him, I remember thinking, bloody hell, that is like a that is Statement a flagship signing. Yeah. That is like a, a centre back that you would expect to be going to the you know City, Chelsea, whoever. Yes. Like yeah, unbelievable exactly. centre back. So I think for Villa, like when he gets fit and gets playing again, next season could be really exciting for them. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think it'd be really exciting. And they'll still be thinking the end of this season could be exciting because Villa are now only, they're on 41 points. That's mental. Um, and sixth, which is likely to be the Conference League, they're two points behind Brighton and Brentford. So they are massively in the European race here. One point behind Liverpool. It would be classic Emery for the, to get them into Europe the second he turns up, right? It would just be like textbook yeah. Emery. 
I'm just having a look at their kind of fixture list. They've got kind of a favourable run as well when you look at it. So next game is against Leicester. So uh, that's uh, win written all over that. Then you've got at home to Nottingham Forest, at home to wow. Newcastle, which is semi-hard, I would say. Um, away to Brentford now. If you're going to win a yeah. game, that's a big game for them to win. You've got at home to Fulham. Away to Man United, who we don't know which side well, turns up never there know, at the you? moment. Yeah. Away to Wolves, which is kind of a derby for them. And then you've got Tottenham at home before last day of the season, away to Liverpool. Now, Liverpool might not have a lot to play for by that point in the season. No. Um, and we'll and Tottenham was somewhat on the line on the last game of the season. You're fancying your <laughs> chances, aren't you? You're massively fancying your yeah, chances. I exactly. think that is a really good run in for Villa. And I think... I would love for Emery because I feel like he got really, I know I'm an Arsenal fan, but he got really harshly treated by the Arsenal fans and the media as well. And I think he's just, I really, really want to see him do well in England and kind of repair his reputation Mm. a bit. And the way I love that people relentlessly mocked him and it was horrific for the good evening thing. It was a little bit xenophobic and it was really, made me really uncomfortable. And I love that he's seen all that and he's still gone, no, that I want to like this is how I want to open my press conferences. That's how he does it. And I just love that he just does not give a shit. So keep yeah. doing that, Unai. You're absolutely smashing it. I'm just delighted that he's doing so well. Absolutely delighted. And Villa in Europe has definitely got a ring to it. Definitely got a ring to it. But mm. the last sacking, I know there was only two this weekend. Can you two. imagine? Two. The last sacking, we do need to say bye-bye, Brendan. Bye, Brendan. <laughs> It was it was a pleasure knowing you. I'm sure it won't be long before you're back in the league. But um, were you more or less surprised by this one than the Graham Potter one? Uh, less surprised, I'd say. Um, mm. I think it's been on the wall for a number of weeks recently, especially with the form that they've been displaying. Um, there's always been this unnerviness about Leicester that they were hovering above that relegation zone, a bit like Crystal Palace were just before they decided to pull the trigger on Vieira. Mm-hmm. There was kind of that unease around Brendan Rodgers. And I think, to be fair, Brendan Rodgers has been in that role for, what, 18 months now where he could have easily gone earlier, right? There was even mm-hmm. murmurs at the beginning of the season where they were in yeah. that bottom of the table and he mass- managed to get some results together. But it feels like this time round that he lost the squad um, based on Saturday's performance. They didn't even try, really. I mean, they made it so much easier for Crystal Palace to really get in there, get the result that they needed at the end of the day. And just the lack of fight, I think that's the disappointing thing about Leicester at this moment in time. And you look at the position that they're in right now and you think, boy, did I not anticipate them to be potentially in that position right now. But they are right in the mire. And you think there's a lot of clubs now that can be dragged into this each game week now going into the end part of this season because so many teams on joint 27 points as it currently stands. you got the likes of West Ham, Everton, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. Then you've got Leeds United on 26 and then it's Leicester City. And then Southampton technically still in with a shout on 23. Boy, is this a relegation fight that I didn't anticipate to happen at the beginning of the season, but it's looking like it's going to be squeaky bum time for, for between half now of and the, the league. The Literally half of the league. It's incredible. It's insane. it's insane. But I think you're right with, with Brendan Rodgers. I feel like, again, it's another manager, kind of similar maybe to Inzaghi, where I'm thinking 
Yeah, but you weren't really like the club did that weird thing of not buying any players, and it's an aging squad. And there's players that have definitely wanted to leave for a while, but just weren't allowed to leave, like Madison. And there's a few players that have been making noises to go, right? Tielemans was like just basically down. Yeah, the of course. I feel like a lot of it is kind of like the players have kind of put him in this position, but then on the same hand, Brendan Rodgers is unable to to turn tides. He's unable to change systems and yeah. turn a ship around fully. You saw it at Liverpool, um, where it would just it, once it started to go wrong, it started to go really wrong. And I think mm-hmm. what could be the the nail in the coffin here for Leicester is that they've just waited so long. They've just waited yeah. so long, and I kind of get why because for them they'll still be thinking about the FA Cup win. He's still got a bit of credit in the bank. Course, he's yes. still one of the most experienced managers down there towards the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, where you think, oh, he's good enough to get us out of it, but. Jean-Philippe Mateta and Roy Hodgson have been have been the uh, have been the final bullet, I suppose, to see him off. Again, Rogers, I don't think it'll be long before we see him back in the league. I think next season someone will get fired and he'll turn up somewhere. Um, but for Leicester fans, it's going to be a pretty nervous end to the season. I think ultimately you have to say at the start of the season, you they never, ever, ever should have been down here. Like never. No, like, it shouldn't you, be. You, you would have pl- placed them at sixth, seventh. If you know what I mean, you'd be like, oh yeah, they'll be there. Mid-table, mid-table yeah. at the very least. Um, and I think the the fact that he's got them in this position alone is probably enough for him to be um, shown out the door, really. It's just key who they bring in now. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, who do you visibly see being the replacement? Because Graham Potter has declined this evening. He has really? declined. He's not going to go there. So I think he's definitely taking his time slash maybe waiting for Todd Bowley to pay off his well, there was that weird Chelsea. thing in the statement about Graham Contract, Potter helping yeah. the transition, which sounds yeah awkward as shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's still on the books, essentially. That's what it is. And he probably won't get a payoff if he goes to another club, yeah, is what yeah. I'm sensing here. Yeah. Um, but realistically, I mean, you said, I think, earlier this season, Ange Postatoglu from yeah. obviously Celtic. I don't think he would go now. Not now. I don't think, not a chance. So I- I'm struggling personally myself. But the one person I did put on our WhatsApp group was Rafa Benitez. That's the only one that I can think that is in location proximity because I believe he's based in Merseyside. Still based States. in the Merseyside, Still up, yeah. Up, down that way. He could travel down, easy get what, a £1 million bonus to keep them up. I could see him doing that potentially. I, I mean, think that's a good shout. For the it? narrative, for the narrative as well. Imagine last game of the season, Leicester stay up. And he relegates Everton and David Moyes in the same day. That would be absolutely like prime level Barclays. I think that would be, we kind of, sorry West Ham fans, but we, we might need to see that. I think Benitez is a very good shout. He's definitely someone that's just going to get you over the line, right? I think yeah. like he's almost at the level of the new Sam Allardyce. If you know what I mean, just get him in, he'll keep you up and then sod yeah. him off. Um yeah, I think all clubs should be fighting over Ange Postacoglu, by the way. I cannot believe no club is looking at him yet. There's not even links. He must really love it at Celtic because he's not getting linked to anything. And that guy has got that. I know it's the Scottish Premier League and Jesus Christ, it's like Sunday League. But he has got Celtic playing incredible football there. They play some beautiful yeah. stuff. And his ability to find transfers and find talent is just incredible. Like, so I think Premier League clubs should be fighting over him, but maybe they're waiting until the summer. Maybe he just wants like one more title and then he'll go. Um, But we will see. Unlucky Leicester, Palace, 
Roy Hodgson comes back in and just drops 30 shots on target in the first half. <laughs> nobody, nobody saw that coming. I don't mean Palace fans were still in shock after the final whistle. <laughs> the fact that the team had taken so many shots. Um, it kind of leans into what you said about Leicester making it so easy. But Palace looked absolutely rampant. And something that I kind of instantly thought, oh, Pat, what were you doing? He started a Bereze and it turns out yeah. it makes a huge this difference. Who'd have thought it? He's basically got the philosophy from a certain Walter Zerman who's doing it at Pescara <laughs> and just went, screw it. I've got yeah. nothing else to live for these days. Let the let the kids just have shots. I won't yeah. tell them anything. Ray will do the back line. I'll just let the kids yeah. do what they need to do. And to be fair, he got Eze in from QPR at the time when he mm-hmm. brought him into Crystal Palace. He knows his strengths. And... On his day, Everetje is a is the kind of player. He's the catalyst for that squad. Yeah. If you can get him on the ball, and I saw it at Wickham, if you get him on the ball, he makes things happen. He mm-hmm. just creates stuff, and that's the thing that's probably been missing because they've been very reliant on Zaha, for example. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that they've got no kind of threat up top. Well, when you've got someone that's running at an angle, that creates that space for a like attacking player to go in and be on the end of whatever Eze can can do mm-hmm. for you. And that's that's the difference. I think that hugely makes a difference in the way they play. I think possibly Vieira was too solid, perhaps, thinking more being a rigid formation. Whereas, you know, Hodgson's probably gone, don't worry, you go and do your runs. We've got someone that can sit behind you and just protect you in the meantime. So Fair play to Hodgson. He's got nothing to lose and he's going to probably keep them upright. So I can't see that being any difference. But the question will be is what do Palace do in the summer? And could, could we see Graham Potter go to Palace? That would be an interesting one. Now we? that we need to see. That's because all that young talent in that squad, all that young talent in that squad yeah. it could be moulded so well. It could be moulded so well. I think, I, I think you're right with, with Roy though. It feels like he's got the the kind of chains are off and he's like I've got nothing to lose now I've got literally nothing to lose I'm just doing this for one last ride into the sunset exactly. Palace are the team in the best position that are in this fight right oh, they are yeah. the ones who are in the best position I honestly think that win basically kind of sees them just get themselves out of yeah. it a little bit because I think if he comes in and they lose straight away you're like oh god this cycle but now it feels like oh yeah mm. we can remember how good we are I think Palace seriously should be touch words. Sorry, Palace fans, but Palace should be okay now. I think, yeah, Graham Potter there in the summer. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot, Adam. We are going to move on and we need to ask very quickly, what's the brummy for Tiki Taka? Because Jack Jack (laughs) Grealish is finally learning how to play pet ball. Unbelievable performance from him. Not only the incredible run back, uh, the last man run, to block the ball across from Salah to make it 2-0. An all-round incredible performance from Jack Grealish, and he's starting to put these in on a consistent basis. Now, we've said before on this pod that don't judge Pep signings in the first 12 months. Just don't (laughs) do it. Because apart from that genetic freak Freak. that they brought brought over from Germany, players take a very, very long time to learn the system. But every time they learn it and they become absolute animals, just wait for the player Calvin Phillips is going to be next year. It's going to blow your mind. But I think Grealish, unbelievable. It's great to see him playing so well and learning the system, right? It's just he's getting great at everything he was good at before. I think the intelligence part of his game has improved massively. And 
That's nothing about his IQ, by the way. But because yeah, we know say, about it's, that, it's as difficult. Well. Um, he's not as thick as mince. That <laughs> you're, yeah. you're starting to see how he's matured in terms of his thinking, the way he's playing the ball. He's now thinking a lot more about the team rather than selfishly about how he mm. can kind of make the game work as well. Because we know about his strengths, about taking on players, for example, and being the most skillful. Well, this time he's got a bit more to his dynamism in terms of what he can do and contribute. And you can see it by the play that he does to De Bruyne and Mares on the other wing as well. The fact that they can interchange as well. I mean, that just feels a bit more fluid than perhaps when they had Raheem Sterling back in the day as well. Mm. So that kind of shows you... He's definitely an upgrade. You look at 100 million and think that was actually not a lot of money really yeah, in yeah. this day. But I think, interestingly, a Man City friend that does go occasionally to watch matches, he's definitely said that Grealish is on fire at the moment. He's incredible. He looks that, like he was debating whether he should include him in, in his fancy team because he'd been that good. I mean, that's the problem you've got now mm-hmm. in terms of who you include him. But yeah, I think that's the interesting bit. I think will be how does Southgate harness this for the England squad as well? Because I think that's the interesting part for England going forward. But I suspect Southgate will be a bit more reserved potentially and not Mm -hmm. necessarily do the same things because he might say arguably that he doesn't have the same kind of players' abilities like the City squad, but I'd argue actually he probably does. To be fair, yeah, so yeah. I think you could just, definitely, yeah. you could definitely fit him in. You could definitely find a place for him. You mm-hmm. can definitely have him as that, even that number ten in the middle. You could have him yeah. as that kind of like That's linking cool. everything up. He's the best player I've ever seen at winning fouls. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. He's just, and it sounds so stupid, but he's just amazing at it. He's just, it is the bet and the way he kind of holds up the ball and moves it's just he waits that split second for the player to move and then just it's not even quick dribbling it's just really effective and his like you said Mm. those quick one twos he does that ability to like find space just he's really really kicked on under pep now and i think we're seeing why they spent so much money on him and why they wanted him Mm. if you know what i mean and like he said it the whole time pep said it as well we didn't want him for his goals and assists that's a bonus that was never what he was known for it was his ability to play football that we wanted and that's what they're getting and it's just it was incredible performance from them uh, from him City, yep. I was really hoping when Liverpool went 1-0 up that they were I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> but then, no, it was just fairly comfortable in the end. Yep. City are going to go on one of those runs now, and fuck's sake, they're definitely going to go on one of those runs. You can just see them <laughs> clicking into gear and, like, robot mode on. Um, yep. For Liverpool, um, now, I... I don't like dragging out Trent, because I like him as a bloke. I like him as a player. I like him, and I feel like Liverpool defenders must be so relieved that they play alongside Trent because he gets all the stick and no other defenders get any stick Mm -hmm. at all. I think Robertson has been equally as bad as Trent, but just doesn't get any stick because he's not Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think it's kind of that Harry Maguire Maguire itis is happening Mm, to, to, to Trent now where everything just gets labeled at him. But... That being said, he had an absolutely horrific performance at right back. Um, I think summed up by the moment where he was leading the press at the beginning, at the top of the pitch. And you could see what he's trying to do. He's trying to be like, come on, look how hard I'm trying. Look what I'm trying to like. I'm trying to win everything. It's like, yeah, but you're a right back, mate. You're not meant to be up there. Like, let the forwards do that. If they're not doing that, that's 
that's not your responsibility, exactly, right? If yeah. the forwards aren't pressing, you're going to shout at them and say, why the fuck weren't you pressing, right? Your job is to do your job at right back. And what we saw was, I think he just needs a bit more discipline. He just, yeah. I think he gets in his head and he loses all sense of what he's doing. And he just becomes like hot-headed running around like a bull in a china shop. And I just think as the performance got worse, or as the performance got bad, it then just spiraled into this horrific performance. And Man City were just there to take advantage, as they always are. But without piling on Trent, I'm going to move on there. I think the Liverpool in general were just a bit woeful the second they went 1-0 up. They were terrible. They were yeah. awful, right? Well, who do you think... Who was the worst? No, who do you think... Where do you think the main problem was for Liverpool? I think this just stems from the fact that they haven't got a midfield at the moment. Yeah. They haven't got the same midfield as they have been or have been successful under, should I say. Certainly defensively, like you've highlighted, it's not just Alexander-Arnold, but they have been really poor across that back four. Um, and I have verified this stat, Rory. So um, Liverpool fans, you might want to switch the actual pod off when I hear this or let's talk about it. But at the same point of the season man united had five points more than you under ralph ragnick who finished six in the table they were currently six at the same time and you are currently i think it's eighth right now as it currently stands so um, that kind of highlights how poor liverpool season has been but yeah I, I think it's just a changing of the guard there is a transitional phase with liverpool they do need to ship on some players now i think put them out into reserves, I think it's fair to say. But the problem is they don't seem to have that necessarily that investment coming in. And it doesn't feel like the players that they bought in this summer are making a name for themselves right now. So, who, you know, William Carvalho, who came in with a lot of hype from mm -hmm. Fulham, not heard from him. Harvey Elliott's kind of had one or two games in between, but he's not been consistent enough. And it hasn't helped by the fact that he's not the answer to the problems he is another option attacking wise but certainly defensively that's where they are really sure he's also a, a player like they? we've talked about Harvey Elliott and he's had some performances that have been outstanding mm -hmm. but he's also a player for the next five years the next six yes. years if you know what I mean he's a player that's meant to be being developed he's not meant to be relied on in this team yeah and I think at the minute he's being relied on and it's just a bit much for someone so young and someone so early in their development, he's still a very, very good player. I just think it's it, it's there's too much responsibility on him in that team. What he needs is midfielders next to him, as you're saying, yeah. that are able to get him through the games and do the defensive side. For Liverpool, it looks like, I don't know, Europe is going to, again, be huge for them. Absolutely huge for them. Um, they are currently now in eighth place. Tottenham have gone 1-0 up, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, Everton, um, Liverpool are currently in eighth place on 42 points. So they're now eight points behind Manchester United in fifth, and they've played the same amount of games. Like, I was tipping Liverpool to get Europe once they beat United 7-0, but they've not won since. No. Um, and what's the point in doing that if you can't follow it up with these games that you should be winning? Um, exactly. not, I know City isn't one of them, but you know, no, they've, they've lost still. a lot. Again, I just realized we were talking about Liverpool City, but <laughs> like, there's been a few games that they should have won that they haven't. Um, so I think, yeah, a bit of a shit season for Klopp. I did see that someone compared it to a roller coaster. The season's been a roller coaster. He said, no, roller coasters are actually enjoyable, <laughs> which, I <did> like, <laughs> which I did like as a line that he's just hated every second of this season, which I think is kind of fair. But we're going to leave City Liverpool there because I'm very aware of time again. Um, and we're going to talk. Adam, I just need to ask a quick question because I'm not sure where we stand on this. Um, are Man United still in the title race? It's hard to keep up. 
Um, they no. were very much no, uh, no, no. Oh, is it, is it over now? It's over. It's now. over. Just, Let's just finish I need it. To double check. Um, and the quadruple that's not on anymore. No, 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 no. Okay, I just needed to check because it's hard to keep up with some of these fans. Um, we might need to do a special episode with Andy when he decides to turn up and not be <laughs> ill when they yeah. lose, right? Anyway, <laughs> but next, you, yeah, United, um, nil. Uh, no, sorry, Newcastle <laughs> United two, Manchester United nil. Let's do it properly. Um, Newcastle were bloody brilliant. My God, they are such mm. a great team to watch. I was watch. I love that whole front line, Sam Maximan <laughs> and Isaac together. They were just doing all these beautiful little touches and flicks, and like there was a moment when was it Sam Maximan who was like dribbling on his head? I think it was him. Yeah. It seems like something he did. <laughs> That's what he would do, right? <laughs> I don't know if it was like Longstaff doing it. If you know what I mean, but I think like, <laughs> Maximan was dribbling. Nah, on his Dan Burn, mate. Dan Burn. Yes. <laughs> Everything was just so fluid going forward. It was super dynamic, fast paced, like exciting football. I was like, damn, this is a team that. I instantly just thought, oh, fuck, we've got to play him at St. James's Park. Like, it was a really impressive performance from Newcastle. Before we get on to Manchester United, because it wasn't from them, um, no. how impressed were you with Newcastle? And, like, even Joe Willock in midfield, there were so many players that just really stood out, right? Yeah, I think that's the key to this Newcastle side. When you think about the quality of this squad versus others like Chelsea, for example, you think, right, they haven't got the necessarily all of the big names, but they are playing as a core, as a team together. And they're so fluid in terms of the way they play. And they just, the pressure and intensity is what you saw of the Liverpool side about five seasons ago. That is the kind of intensity that seems to be missing from the Liverpool side. But also what I think is intriguing is how Howe has kind of developed that kind of his tactical naiveness that I felt like he was kind of showing at Bournemouth. And he's now developed that a lot more. He kind of credits his time of observing Diego Simeone at Atletico yeah, and how yeah. he kind of is a bit more rigid when it comes to holding on, making sure that they just defend and just the tactics that they deploy as well. So I think there's a lot of credit to Eddie Howe here and how he's approached it and the fact that he's getting the best out of players like you allude to, like your long staffs, you know, Joe Willocks, etc. Jacob Murphy he's, was unbelievable yeah. when he came on as well. Yeah. I just think it's incredible that he's getting the best out of these type of players. And you think he's added a few good players alongside them. The Bruno Guimaraes, for example. Yeah, Alexander Isak. Just... I mean, you think if he could have household names in that squad on top of that layer... Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got a hell of a squad going forward, especially for next season, where they look like they're going to be in Champions League places yeah. right now. I think yeah, they will yeah. be. That is great. Um, yeah, full of kudos. And it was the opposite that could be said about Man United, who just let their goal be bombarded. If it wasn't for De Gea at times, they would have lost by more. I don't know what they were playing at, but Ten Hag's comments at the end were very strange. And I don't know... I feel it's a deflection tactic from him. Massively. Massively. 
but you've got to give credit to Newcastle and not be that disrespectful. I feel that was hugely disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to just add some spice for next season, certainly when them two play again each other. Um, but it's a bit of disappointment for Eddie Howe because I feel he approached it in a nice manner. He wasn't being bitchy, even on the occasion when they did lose to Man United. And it just feels unnecessary from Ten Hag. And I feel he's going to get a bit of a rep, essentially. It's not the first time he's said things like this. Um, and probably not the last. Um, but yeah, Man United he, were really poor. He's come out with some fairly strange comments post-big matches like and, and notably yeah. big losses. They've still not beaten a yes. top-nine team away. Um He's kind of come out with like the Arsenal game where it was okay 3-2 on paper, but we were all over them. He said it was mm-hmm. a very, very close game. There's been a few games where he was like, oh, that scoreline flattered them. Um, yeah. And this one where it was like Newcastle have played above their level. Like, mate, you've been scrapping with them for like second, third this entire season. Like they've mm-hmm. been there the whole yeah. season. There's no part of them that's like doesn't deserve the position they're in. I just felt if it just felt really, really, as you said, disrespectful and a little bit deluded. I think it is it's not making him come across well to other fans. Obviously United fans won't give a shit. They don't give a shit what other fans think of, of their manager. I don't give yeah. a shit what people think of Mikel Arteta, if you know what I mean. But yeah. I think it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Um and United just zero midfield. My God. Like it is I think I never thought I'd say not playing Fred was such a bad idea. Um, <laughs> he needed his energy and his like aggression yeah. in midfield. Newcastle literally every time I got the ball, every time they got the ball, I was like, they just were walking through. There was yeah. no resistance, zero resistance. I think how Bruno Fernandez isn't getting chewed out by United fans yet. It blows my mind. He's got zero discipline, zero a bit like he'll do that. You know when you play seven aside and you try to tackle and you're knackered and you don't get the ball. So you just go, Oh, I tried. He yeah. does that for 90 minutes. He just yeah. puts in a nominal leg. The guy goes past him. He's like, Oh, fuck it. I tried. It's your job now. I honestly don't get how United fans aren't pulling their hair out at him. It's just him. He did it. I saw him do it five or six times this game. I was like, mate, if you could just put in a shift, like during lockdown, that guy yeah. was unbelievable. And I felt like he's not hit any level near it. Not, since not the same level. Like it's no. incredible. Um, so I think, yeah, for United, there's just so many issues there. And straight away, they come out with, well, I hope they back Ten Hag properly in the summer. Can I please have a definition of what backing properly is? Because exactly. you dropped 100 million on Anthony. You dropped 60 million on Martinez. Like, you didn't, like, scrimp and save this summer. If you <laughs> spent 100 million on Anthony, who is the most predictable player in the Premier League, and didn't get a striker, that's not, like, that's Ten Hag's fault, if anything, really. Yeah. Like, I... Anthony can hit a pinger from 30 yards every so often, but teams have already figured him out. Yeah, like, of course they have. Teams have yeah. absolutely figured him out. And I think it's just, yeah, I don't know what exactly proper backing um, is, the like what their definition of is. Let's not forget no. they spent 30 million on Malassia as well from PSV yeah. as well. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Summer. So, I think, you know, that's close to 200 million pounds, which is probably more than what Southampton has spent this season. Oh, probably. God, yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. So there's huge levels there. Um, and I think they're just frustrated that they only got Val Veghorst on a, like a loan this the January transfer that. window. That's not, like, let's be honest, there's huge issues which we've covered on this pod. It's an ownership piece. 
But ultimately, yeah. Man United fans just got to suck it up sometimes. Unfortunately, just that's the way it is at this moment in time. Yeah. But you have to kind of put a lot of degree of criticism towards Ten Hag because it's his players. They're the players that he wanted through the door. Now, mm-hmm. ultimately, I'm sure if he didn't want to sign Anthony for 100 million, he could have said, Do you know what? It's not worth it. Let's just get two other additions for the yeah. amount that we're spending yeah, for yeah. They could have done that easily. When you look at Marcel Sabitzer potentially being available for 30 million, which seems like a steal now, but then you look at yesterday's performance, you go, mm, do we need another midfielder that does very similar to Bruno Fernandes? I don't know. It's um, it's a strange one, but I still have Sabitzer in for sure. Um, but yeah, let's wait and see. But yes, I think I have to interrupt to you, Adam. Go on, you have go some fantastic it. news. Ten man Everton have equalized <laughs> against Spurs in the 90th minute, and it's come through Michael Keane. 90th, that's got to be a corner and a header. It has to be. It has. Uh, it? Yeah, Michael Keane, 90 <laughs> minutes, one all. Oh, you love to see it. Good work, Everton. Good work, Everton. Nice. Um, and before we end the show, guys. Um, I just want to very quickly talk about um, Arsenal. Can I talk about Arsenal for a couple of minutes? I really enjoyed our performance. Um, I need to talk about Benny Blanco. Benny Buddy Blanco. He has been unbelievable for us this season. And this was another game where there was plenty of Benny Blanco shithousery and an incredible (laughs) performance. Um, I think it's really interesting how... When he came into the league, it was 50 million. It's a rip-off. Arsenal can't believe they spent so much money on him. Just nobody references the fee anymore. Nobody talks about it. It's just like, no. oh, yeah, he's quite good, isn't he? Like, we have converted a centre-back. He wasn't a right-back. We've converted a centre-back because we've got Saliba and, and Gabriel into a right-back, and he's become the best right-back in the league this year. I don't think there's a right-back that even gets close to him, how consistent he's been this year and how... Um, and <laughs> Spurs had someone sent off as well. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Mora sent off. Um, but there's no one that's been anywhere near as consistent as him. And when he's had bad performances, I can think of maybe two where he got taken off in the first half, mm. like at half time. It's been worthy of note. People have been like, oh, yeah, that was a bad Ben, ben White performance. Mm-hmm. I thought he was absolutely outstanding again. Um, there's a moment where he does a back heel tackle against Rutner, I think it was, <laughs> on the left wing. Just unbelievable. Um, and when he scored his goal, um, so every time Arsenal players have scored, he's like slapped him on the back of the head, right? It's been right, like a thing okay. slapped. And the Arsenal players absolutely went to town on him. They were like <laughs> bashing his head, getting their own back. And as he walked off, Zinchenko gave him a kick up the arse. And I think with someone like Ben White, he seems to just be that really calming influence. Like he's someone that doesn't take football too seriously. Like he doesn't, yeah, there was the quote afterwards of like, did you watch the Man City game? He's like, I don't watch football. He's like quite open about the fact that he's not really that interested in mm. football. He loves playing it. He's very good at it. Yeah. But he says, if I have to watch football for a job, I don't want to then go home and watch football, which I can completely get on board yeah, with. Exactly. I don't need my footballers to love football. I need them to be good at football, right? Yeah. I think like, and I think just having that influence in a, in a changing room might be quite a good thing of like, when the players, when it starts to feel a bit too serious, you've just got this guy who like wants to be on Love Island in the corner and he just kind of <laughs> calms, calms everyone down a little bit. I think his yeah, influence in the squad, his influence in the squad has been fantastic and his influence in the team has been fantastic. Um, I do also need to talk about Gabriel Jesus as well. It was absolutely mm-hmm. massive for him to get a goal. The penalty, I thought he's the one player we've got that's very good at winning penalties. He knows yes. how to win penalties. Yeah. That was a definite penalty. I don't know what Luke Ayling is doing, just yeah. sticking his foot out there. It's just Leg a ridiculous out. decision. But 
Gabriel Jesus's record at penalties isn't great. Um, and it was course, an yeah. unconvincing penalty. It was straight down the middle, but thankfully Melier jumped. Um, but I think it was a huge thing, again, showing the team spirit at Arsenal as well. Everyone knows he needs a goal. Erdegaard holds the ball, does a trippier, right? Let's take some yes. attention, yeah, gives yeah. the ball to Jesus, Jesus puts it in. And then the second goal was just a beautiful thing to see. Just like, yes, right. He's off the mark. Here we go. We are heading into the yeah, last exactly. nine games and we've got Gabriel Jesus in scoring form. Like this has to, it's why I'm repping the Brazil shirt tonight, right? Like <laughs> it has to be a good sign. Um, and I just think we're now on a seven game winning run, uh, which is a bit mental. And um, we've averaged at least three goals a game. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a few fours, a couple of threes in there. This is the time where you start to think teams are grinding out one nils. And what we're doing is just scoring lots of goals. Um, yeah. It's really beautiful to see. And we're getting goals from everywhere. So Granite Xhaka now has five goals and five assists this season. That's more than his previous three seasons combined. Um, we've got Leandro Trossard with another assist, playing on the right wing for the first time in the Premier League. Looks like he's been playing there his entire life. Um, a player who, if what I want to happen happens, <laughs> right? Because I'm still too afraid to say it. That is going to be the signing that is like that is what that is what did it because the his ability to just turn up and do every position incredibly well and cause problems for everyone has just been like invaluable. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just such a such a good signing. I'm delighted he's ours because I think a lot of other Premier League teams are now looking and going, crap, we should have got him. We really should have got him. Um, just incredible performance. Um, I realise I've been talking for about five minutes about Arsenal now. Any thoughts about Arsenal and Leeds? I was just going to say, well, Leeds-wise, I thought they were really poor. Uh, didn't offer too mm. much. And I was a bit surprised maybe with Garcia. I thought he would offer a little bit more in the kind of attacking sense or at least kind of make it a bit more harder mm. to break. But... Yeah, um, kudos to even Saka. I thought he had a very good game. But what I wanted to just pose to you is, whilst you've been singing the praises of Arsenal, it feels like the next five to six games are going to be big, massive yeah. ones because it doesn't feel like the next game is any easier for different reasons, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So, for example, when you look at your run, you've got Liverpool away, then you're away to West Ham, then you're at home to Southampton, who are fighting for, obviously, yeah. survival then away to Man City, then at home to Chelsea, which you think, oh, it might be easy, but you'd never know what kind of Chelsea well, who's side in charge to turn up. And then you're away to Newcastle, which we know from the documentary, that was yeah. where it kind of fell apart, right? Mm-hmm. So do you kind of get... <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to you on WhatsApp groups, so let's put it this way, in the next few oh. weeks, um, because I, I can sense it's going to be tense until that 90 minutes is kind of blown and there is a result in favour of Arsenal. But yeah, are you kind of feeling like this is the kind of penultimate stage now? This is the period that you need to get through? Honestly, it feels like I've been waiting for this for so long. And it's been, if it's been 20 years since we last won it, right? It's basically 20 years or 19 years. If, it's taken from us at this point. I will be so heartbroken. I've like, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because I know that Man City are Man City and I'm still picturing in my head that Man City lift the trophy at the end of the year because I, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best kind of thing. And yep. I think what you don't want is Man City chasing you down because they will just go on a 10 game winning streak and not even think about it. I, I think there's so many, the game that does make me most nervous is the mm. Newcastle away. 
it's the one where now and, and what I what I do think is that this is a team that has responded to setbacks and responded to psychological barriers quite well. So even losing to Man City where everyone was like, oh, here we go. And then we just go on a massive winning run yeah. or winning away at, old, uh, at Spurs. Like we've done a lot of these things this season that have been the first in a while, first in a while, like beating United again. There's been a lot of these like kind of bumps, beating Liverpool. And you think, okay, they've got this, like they're, they're not the team from 15 years ago. They're not the team from eight years ago. They're set in their own history. But that Newcastle game is their history. So it's yeah. the first time that it's got to be like, right, this is us proving it wrong now. This is us like turning that page. That's the game that makes me most nervous. Man City away, I honestly think we can lose it and I would I would be annoyed, but I don't yeah. think it would be the end of the world because we don't need to be better than Man City. We need to be better than the other eight teams we're going to yes. play. Yeah, exactly. Like, And that's what we need to have in our head. Like, It doesn't matter what Man City do. We need to be better than the teams we're playing. Because mm-hmm. I don't care if we lose twice to them and win the league. I could not give a toss. We just need to win the league, right? So I think it's – I'm incredibly, incredibly nervous. And that Newcastle game makes me really, um, yeah, anxious. Liverpool away, for once, I'm not feeling too like we're going to get slapped. Mm. But you never know. At Anfield, they're completely different to they are to what they, they are They can switch away. it on when they want to, right? Yeah, it's going to be absolutely unbelievable at that stadium. So I think that is a big test as well. Um yeah, it's all feeling very real now. It's feeling very, very real now. And mm. I honestly would just, if I could, I'd just skip forward to the 29th of May or whatever it is and just see what it, what happened. Because I don't <laughs> I don't really want to have to live through it. Because if it, if it doesn't, it's going to be very, very hard to get over, I'll be honest. And I, I yeah. kind of had the realisation today that the goal difference is really, really close. There's two goals in it. And I was like, if we, if we lose it on goal, I don't know if I'll ever come back from that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> And like, even that being said, we could get 92 points and still not win the league. And I know that's what happened. I know, it's mental. And it must yeah. be infuriating. But we could get our best points total ever in the Premier League and not win the league. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just infuriating. But we'll see. First, Liverpool away. That's what we need to focus yeah. on. I'm going for the Arteta just one game at a time and pray that Man City get all the way to the Champions League final because I want them playing as many games as they can. They have to play <laughs> all those games, every single one. A replay against Sheffield United, please. Whatever it takes, just get as many <laughs> miles in those legs um, because we're going to need all of it. We're going to need all of it. But whew, there's my therapy session done um, uh, for <laughs> now. Uh, the next three months are also going to be a therapy session. But listeners, viewers, thanks for joining uh, joining us. It's great to be back. Um, yes. We will see you. I don't know if we're going to be here on Thursday. Keep an eye on our socials because I'm going on holiday um off to the mountains but we will keep you updated as to where when and where the um episodes are happening thanks for joining us adam anything to say before we let these beautiful people go home probably just to say also easter monday probably won't be doing a live so Mm. make sure you join us for the following thursday if we don't have a pod Mm. this thursday but we endeavor to be there hopefully with you soon so enjoy us when we can nice as always guys follow us on twitter at um, Italian Anglo Pod on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Um, you can find us on YouTube. You should be on YouTube now. Hit subscribe yeah. and like. Tell a friend. And guys, we will see you soon. After this. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.